0: You know, today we're starting a new sermon series called Greater Than, and today we're going to be looking at God is greater than me. How many of you believe that God is greater than you? <laughs> well, yeah, pretty good. There's some of you that kind of doubt that a little bit, maybe. Um, but, but anyway, most all of us know that, that God is greater than we are. I want to do a little test this morning. I want to test some things that um, that um, that you may believe about the Bible or may not believe about the Bible. Um, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe this? This is in the Bible that God helps those who help themselves. Do you believe that's in the Bible? Amen. How many of you believe that's in the Bible? Raise your hand. All right. How many believe it's not in the Bible? Raise your hand. Oh yeah, it's not. It's not in the Bible. Now here's another one. This one's a little harder. How many of you believe uh, that it's in the Bible that um, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform? How many of you believe that's in the Bible? Raise your hand. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. It's not in the Bible. You know, that, that comes to us from a 19th century hymn written by a, a guy named William pa- uh, Cowper. And in that hymn are these words. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plans his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm." You know, this particular uh, non-verse in the Bible is really capturing what we understand in the Bible is this uplifting of the mystery of God, the mystery and the wonder of God that is definitely in the Bible. And not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Paul, in Romans, the 11th chapter, Paul said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know, the ancients had this understanding of the mystery and the wonder of God that that we may have lost somewhat. The ancients wouldn't even spell out God, Yahweh. They, They would leave out certain letters in Yahweh because they believed God was so great that you didn't even... Say God's name. You know, the Holy of Holies was a part of the temple where it was believed by the ancients that the the presence of God could be found. And and, and therefore, the high priest only went into the Holy of Holies one time a year because it was so awesome. And and, then the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his ankle in in case he saw God and God's presence was so powerful that it killed him. They could drag him out. That understanding of of who God is was so powerful among the ancients of our faith in pinning the Bible. And we've lost some of that in our culture today. I want us to listen to the words of Isaiah, the 55th chapter, beginning with the 6th verse. And I'd like to ask us to stand for the reading of God's word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that that goes out of, from my mouth It will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst forth with song. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands." Instead of the briar, shall come forth a myrtle. Instead of the thorn, shall come forth a cypress. And it shall be the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign, and shall not be cut off. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, this this scripture, and we need to understand how much of the Bible was written in a pre-scientific day. And and there's a lot of the Bible that doesn't explain things because the writers of the Bible don't know these things. And and so in this pre-scientific world, it was so easy to understand that that which we don't understand, that which we could not explain would be attributed to God if we couldn't explain it then we just said it's a mystery and mysteries were ascribed to God to the ancients even out of this text that we read today they didn't understand how night and day came to be in fact their understanding of of the cosmos was off base it was false as we know today They couldn't understand how the rain fell from heaven and how a a, a little seed would sprout and grow and a plant would become. That was a mystery. They they couldn't uh, explain why the wind blows and why the tides go out in the ocean and come back. They they didn't know why that happened. They just said, it's God. They didn't understand childbirth. They didn't understand the mystery of how um, a, 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 a little person would come into the world. As a baby, they just said it's God. To to the pre-scientific person, everything that they couldn't explain, all of the mystery, all of the wonder, was just said to be God. With a lot of abandonment in doing so. With no shame. It's God that brings forth this great thing. And then the educational awakening occurred, right? The printing press was invented and common people began to read. More and more people went to school. The scientific revolution came to be and science became, began to explain more and more of these so called mysteries. And, and it started shedding light on things that couldn't be explained and all of a sudden they could be explained. And the understanding, um, in understanding so much of life that was not understood before, there came this understanding among people that one day we'll be able to know everything. There'll be nothing that will be a mystery. It'll all be known. And many people may say that or or, or may believe that, 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 that as we continue to Uh, develop as our minds continue to figure these things out that one day there'll be nothing that we don't know and when we ascribe to that kind of thinking then we in essence are saying that we are greater than God if God in fact even exists and friends today we live in a culture that's that's increasingly becoming the case That we have become so sold out to what we can know and understand and so have diminished the understanding of mystery and wonder that the very presence of God is doubted by many more today than used to be the case. We're living in a time when there is a great emphasis placed on the rational. We have great confidence in our ability, the human mind's ability to understand life at a deeper level. Now, I need to remind us about something. The church took the lead on promoting education and the rational. When you look at education, even in our country, our young country, over the past 300 years... Most of the great educational institutions were started by the church. Yale and Harvard were Puritan schools. Princeton was a Presbyterian school. At Princeton, even today, there's an ancient Latin verse that says, Under God, she flourishes. In other words, this, this, this higher education institution flourishes only only under God, because God is greater than she. Did you know that Vanderbilt and the University of Southern California were Methodist-affiliated schools once upon a time? Did you know that Syracuse and um, and also Northwestern in Chicago also Methodist-affiliated? And, and we... United Methodists today, we are proud of Duke and Boston University and Emory and and SMU. And and of course, the centenary gents from Shreveport, Louisiana. United Methodists have always valued education and being able to grow our minds. We often say, don't park your brains on the outside and come into worship into an irrational understanding of God. Much to the contrary. We, we value loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We encourage us to think and especially to think about God and God's ways. And, and therefore, there are so many different uh, views and so many different opinions. And, and we United Methodists we have been, in, we've been comfortable with the fact that we don't all have to believe alike, but that we all are in search of the truth. It's a common venture. You know, the failure to develop our minds is simply poor stewardship. And I dare say today, you know, you hear me loudly and clearly, that there is no excuse for fuzzy thinking when it comes to God and our faith. I believe that. But there's also a twofold problem. First, there are Christians who wrongly think that God is pleased the more irrational things that we can believe and name as being faith. God is not honored by our mind-numbing and irrational picture of the gospel. And at the same time, there are those who, over, who are overly impressed with what our minds can do. They believe that given time... There's nothing that we cannot understand or figure out or categorize or quantify. And everything in life that doesn't fit established rational categories must simply be dismissed. So instead of using our minds to enlarge our experience of life, people who think too highly of our rational abilities uh, think that if we can't understand it, then it doesn't exist. And how mind-shrinking that is how we can possibly say that if we can't figure it out it must not exist when we when we realize that that God's ways are not our ways God's thoughts are not our thoughts; they're beyond us in so many ways we can't as as people of faith can't reach a place where we have no understanding of the mystery and wonder of God In doing so, we're saying that I am greater than God. I was reading this week and I came across a a quote from Albert Einstein. You know, no small intellect, right? Albert Einstein. He had this, um, this reverent humility when it came to the ways of God. He wrote this. The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious, the sense of wonder in the presence of something partly known and partly hidden. The one to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer stand wrapped in the awe and wonder, is as good as dead, is a snuffed out candle. That's pretty strong. You know, I'm impressed with the fact that this brilliant scientist who understood so much still made room for the mystery and the awesomeness and the wonder of God realizing that he would never ever figure it all out. That it's impossible to know all. And that there is a place in our lives that brings us life and excitement and satisfaction when we can say, We're not going to know it all. That's part of the mystery and the wonder of who is God. H.G. Wells in a book called The Soul of a Bishop talks about a conversation a bishop was having with an angel and and how um, the angel was trying to explain to the bishop that all religion was in search of truth. And and that that these quests of truth was what uh, really did please and honor God. And and the bishop said to the angel. But the truth. You can tell me the truth, can't you? You can tell me the truth. And as H.G. Wells describes it. The angel cupped his hands and put it over the bald head of the bishop. And then affectionately began to stroke the bishop's head and said the truth I can tell you I can tell you the truth but this can't hold it this little box of brains is not big enough to understand you know there's much in life that we can't understand There's much in life that we just have to chalk up to the mysterious, wonderful nature of God. I want to say this morning that I'm becoming more comfortable with the mystery. Mainly for this reason. I deeply believe that God is like Jesus. The way we know about God's presence and about God's action is to ask, does it sound like Jesus? Now that sounds simplistic, doesn't it? And simple it is, but simplistic it is not. For God saw this little box of brains and realized that we needed a Savior. We needed one like us who could live as God among us who could explain the mysteries as we could, in fact, embrace them. Jesus came to be to show us how to perfectly love God and to perfectly love others. And throughout the Gospels we have this account of Jesus separating himself from from the crowds and going apart so that Jesus could be in prayer, could be in consultation with God, could. could could say to God these things that, that he couldn't figure out at the time. Or wanting that comfort and peace that God wanted to give. And in living in such a way to acknowledge the mystery and to call the mystery Abba, Daddy, Poppy, in such a childlike way. Jesus was showing us how to reverence God and how to acknowledge the mystery. You know, wouldn't it be great if we recovered our lost sense of wonder? Wouldn't it be great if we could look at life with the eyes of the Spirit and to see the hand of God at work everywhere? You know, Jesus said something that I think is important for us to embrace. And He said, if you want to know the ways of God, if you want to know the mystery of God, then you need to become like who? Like a child. Because Jesus saw in children that awesome excitement about everything in life. Life is like there to be discovered, and, and the things that you didn't know, you didn't worry about. And, and you had that kind of childlike faith and that kind of childlike trust in the God of truth. You lived in such a way that was happy and free and full of peace. And that's what Jesus wanted. And wants for all of us. You know, I close with this. On Friday, I was um, at my parents' home. And I was really enjoying the way that they were living into their new home. I I really loved seeing how much peace had come their way. Now on Friday it was raining, in fact it was thunderstorming and I want to remind you that my parents' home was burned uh, in a lightning storm, struck by lightning and burned to the ground. So when my parents built this new home they did not build it in an irrational way. There are 10 lightning rods on my parents' new home, (laughs) 10, talk about overkill. And yet they would be the first to say that there have been so many things that have happened that you could only attribute to God's mysterious ways. There's so many things that happened that they could not have planned, could not have expected. And when these things have happened, it's been identified as a blessing. And it's been attributed to a God who cares and who loves us. You know, after the storm subsided on Friday, it was kind of coming and going. But at one point, I looked into the sky, and there was a double rainbow, two rainbows. So I went into the front of the house, and I took a photograph of, of their house, their new house. And over that house were these two rainbows. It was awesome. And of course, when we people of the Judeo-Christian faith, when we see a rainbow, what do we think about? We think of Noah's ark, don't we? We think that the rainbow is a symbol of hope, right? That God put the sign in the sky. But when we think of Noah's ark, we think of that story about how God came to Noah and said there's going to be this great flood. He built this big boat called an ark. And he got animals to come in two by two. And if there's ever a story in the Bible that our rational minds just say, whoa, that's a little, uh, hmm, don't know if I can go there. I mean, we ask questions like, well, I wonder if there were two dinosaurs on the ark. <laughs> or I wonder, since there were just such a small few people who um, escaped the flood, how they pop- how they possibly would... Um, repopulate the earth I mean when we go there we get all kinds of weird things right and yet that was never the intention of the story it wasn't to be about the flood it was to be about the rainbow you know you know we do disservice to the stories of the Bible when we try to make them into some sort of science book or explanation The story is a story that is meant to uplift the fact that there are floods that come in life. Did you know nearly every major religion has a flood story that's different than ours? But our story is about what happened after the flood. When God put the bow in the sky. When God in essence said to you and to me, there's nothing that we face in life that we don't face without the mysterious wonder of God. That God has promised in the rainbow that He's going to be here with us when the floods of life come. That God will bring purpose out of that which seems to be senseless. That God will bring redemption out of that that seems to be completely void of redemptive quality. Friends, I'm glad I saw that rainbow because it reminded me again that there are things in life that we just don't plan and that there is a mysterious wonderful amazing loving forgiving creating God who never sleeps nor slumbers and if we can't get in touch this little box of brains with the fact that we can't ever understand it all but one thing that we can say we understand by faith is that God is always God and we are always his children and that God desires the very best for us in this life And the next. Amen.